chapters of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And we've been looking at this idea of rooted in the gospel. What was Paul calling these people to? What does it look like to be a people focused on the gospel, to have the centrality of the gospel and the, the truth of everything that Christ is at the center of who our identity is, our mission is, our, our calling of what we are to be about as a gospel people? How is that supposed to work its way out? What are we supposed to preach? What are we supposed to teach? What is the power behind seeing sinners come to Christ? And so we've been working on that over the past four weeks. Today's the fifth week, and we're going to wrap up the series today by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. So go ahead and find your copy of Scripture there. So before we get going, before we read this here, um, if you guys have ever seen um, The Price is Right, Bob Barker, come on down, a bunch of bells and lights flashing, people get real fired up about running to the front. Um, if you've ever watched any amount of The Price is Right, um, eventually you saw them play the game called Plinko, right? They walk up with a little plastic disc and a well, guy walks up and they set that disc on the board and there's just a bunch of pegs and the things just firing back and forth and bouncing and bouncing down and then finally it rests somewhere and you know you can win money or not win money win a prize not win a prize um so i'm talking about plinko not because that is what paul's talking about um but i'm talking about plinko because what i want you to do is pray with me because as we read here in these verses 6 through 16 of chapter 2 here paul if you're just not focusing clearly, Paul sort of gives us in an argument a little bit of mental plinko, right? And so he's just like, ah, this, 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 and he's just sort of bouncing back and forth all the way down. But if you, if we, if you look, and this is what we're going to look at today, he really is running two streams of thought. Really what he's going to do is pick up from last week, and he's going to show us, yeah, human wisdom isn't a viable means to salvation, but we do come preaching a wisdom. So he realizes we can't just throw the idea of wisdom, like the baby out with the bathwater idea. And so what he's going to do in these first um, four verses, 6 through 10, he's going to show us, yeah, we come preaching a wisdom, but it's a God's wisdom. It's not human wisdom. And then he's going to come through in verses 10 through 16 and support this with a couple of ideas of how the Holy Spirit enables us to see that human wisdom is bad leading to salvation, what we need is God's wisdom, Christ crucified. So I want you guys just to have those categories in your mind. This is how we're going to eventually break down the text here once we read the text and pray. But just to give you guys that heads up here, because you'll see he's just picking up phrases and he keeps bouncing back and forth and back and forth. And if we're not careful, we can just sort of lose these big key thoughts in the text. So just, I'm going to read, and then when we get done reading, I want to pray for you, and then pray for myself that God would help us, and that the Spirit of God Himself would reveal to us what is in this text so that we can best know, honor, worship, and glory in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, we'll read down through the end of the chapter, verse 16. These are the words of the Holy Spirit through Paul to us. Yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. A spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. God, how unsearchable are your judgments and how inscrutable are your ways. Who knows the mind of the Lord? Who has been your counselor? God, who has given a gift to you that he might be repaid? From you and through you and to you are all things. So this morning, since these things are true, I ask that you would come and that you would send the Spirit and you would dwell among us in this place. Make these words that we speak come to life. Inhabit the proclamation of your word so that we may understand the glory of God's wisdom, salvation rooted in a crucified Messiah. God, this will be work that happens in our hearts today. The ability to understand the text this morning will be because you come and you inhabit this text and you open our eyes, you empower and you enable us to see. So God, take my words, employ them for your name's sake. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, as we said this morning, we find ourselves in the last week of our series rooted in the gospel. And we've been working through these first two chapters of 1 Corinthians. We've seen that this is a message that comes to us that Paul is trying to give us. It's not a message of the world or the message of human wisdom as a viable means of salvation, but he's really emphasizing that the avenue, the road that leads to fellowship with God goes through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the person and the work of Christ. He is the one who has accomplished salvation for us. And over the course of this series, we have learned that the Corinthians had received this preached message. They were converted. They were saved. They once were not God's people. They once were not counted as being members of the family of God. Paul came, preached the message. The Spirit of God empowered the preaching of his message, landed on the ears, and hearing, they received, they repented, they placed their faith and their only hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. And in doing that, as Paul uses in Colossians 1, they were transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. But along the way, from the time that Paul planted that church in Corinth, and then moved on to other places, things have started to gone awry. And that's what we've been talking about 
as we've been looking at these, these first two chapters. We've seen that they lost sight of their identity, who they were in Christ. They lost sight of their mission, what they were to be about. They lost sight of what healthy Christian fellowship looks like because of their fellowship they have with Jesus. They had lost sight of the central message of the gospel. They had lost sight of their call to salvation. They lost sight of the fact that God chose them not because they were wise, powerful, and of noble birth, but because of the person and work of Jesus. Last week we also saw that they lost sight of the power that rested behind Paul's preaching. Paul didn't come to them resting on persuasive wisdom to somehow schnooker or dupe these people into believing his message. But he came with weakness. He came with not lofty speech, not human wisdom, but came in a full demonstration of the Spirit's power causing them to rest their faith in the power of God. And in all of these things, Paul was arguing to come and illustrate this point. The message of the cross cannot be contaminated. It cannot be added to. You can't commingle human wisdom with God's wisdom of a crucified Messiah. Human wisdom will never, in an infinite number of eternities, lead a person to see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior. It will never happen. But... The main idea of today's text turns a corner, and that's what I was mentioning to you guys earlier and talking to you. So up to this point, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 5, Paul has been writing the idea of wisdom pretty hard. But you see him sort of turn a corner, and sort of his rhetoric changes a little bit when we turn and we look there at verse 6. From verse 17, chapter 1, through chapter 2, verse 5, Paul has been rather hard on wisdom because he is arguing against a Corinthian attitude toward wisdom that has placed the message of the cross in a less than favorable light. Paul asserted that God has acted by means of his own wisdom and that he made Christ become wisdom for us. And you can almost see Paul speaking to a scribe as he's like talking out loud and this guy's writing down this letter here. And he takes a pause and maybe just rests back in his, in his lounge chair and goes, okay, I've been hounding the idea of wisdom, human wisdom, as not a viable means to salvation, but I don't want them to see how, because of how hard I'm digging on human wisdom, to just go, okay, wisdom is just completely out the door. I don't want them to draw that conclusion. So what Paul does is steps back and says, but we did come to you preaching a wisdom. And so with this, he turns his attention in, in chapter 2, verse 6 through 16. He's going to pick up this language of wisdom, but he's defining it differently than what the Corinthians were defining it. He defines it in a very nuanced way. The wisdom that he speaks of is the wisdom of God, which is salvation through a crucified Messiah. This is the wisdom of God, and this is the wisdom that Paul was putting before the Corinthians as being the epitome, epitome of true wisdom. So this morning, we're going to see this idea as Paul wraps out this very parenthetical section. So if you look back at 117, what you see is Paul is talking to the Corinthians about divisions, and he doesn't pick up that idea of divisions until the first verse of chapter 3. 
So from 118 through what we look at today, it's this very big parenthetical section where he stops back in 117 and says, I didn't come to baptize. I came to you guys wanting to preach the gospel. Oh, by the way, let me tell you a little, little something about the gospel. And then starting in 118 all the way through 216, Paul pulls out the gem of the gospel and starts turning at it and looking at it and giving them all these many facets of the gospel, showing them how the truth of the gospel, when it's rooted in your life, because your identity is staked in the gospel, you ought to reflect these things. And these things are the, are the things that we've been talking about for these past, past several weeks. So when Paul comes to these Verses here in 6 to 16, it's very much a book end. It's a book end on his argument of wisdom. It's a book end on his argument of what the gospel is. It's a book end of, hey, I am presenting to you this main idea of what is to be the center of your life so that when he gets done in verse 16, and if we were to continue on through the rest of the book, you will see that he picks right back up in divisions. Picking up where he left off in chapter 1, and this big parenthetical section becomes the key, the root, the foundation to what he addresses in the rest of the letter. But what we're going to see today in verses 6 through 16 is this idea. This is the book, and this is his closing argument. God's wisdom is good, and it is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. God's wisdom is good, and it is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And our verses 6 through 16 will split in two. We'll look at verses 6 through 10 and see the goodness of God's wisdom. Then we'll look at verses 10 through 16 and see that the Spirit alone knows the mind of God and reveals God's wisdom to us. So we'll see the goodness of God's wisdom, verses 6 through 10. And then we'll see in verses 10 through 16, the Spirit alone knows the mind of God and reveals God's wisdom to us. So let's look at verses 6 through 10. So the goodness of God's wisdom. So Paul is not wanting them to just throw wisdom out the window. And these verses 6 through 10 serve as a continuation of thought from what we learned last week when we looked at verses specifically 2, 1 through 5. Paul stated that he came to the Corinthians preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. The preacher himself was weak, and the preaching was not marked by human wisdom, but all of these things added up to a full-on demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit coming and working in their lives. With the purpose of them seeing Paul not in power, not in wisdom, the message he preached has changed our life. Well, who are we going to boast in? Who are we going to worship? Who are we going to praise? And they were meant to draw this conclusion. We are going to praise. We are going to boast. We are going to worship in God alone. That was the purpose of Paul's preaching. That was what he was about. But this doesn't discount wisdom altogether. For the gospel of the cross is not devoid of wisdom. The gospel of the cross involves a wisdom that is discernible by those who are spiritually mature. So when you look at verse 6 there, and he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. What he's not saying is somehow they're sort of like varsity level Christians and like freshman squad Christians. We're like, yeah, these guys are really good. And they're Christians. 
And these guys are like, eh, they're like, you know, freshman squad, maybe JV squad. Hey, at least they're Christians, but they're not, not saying. He's not talking about that kind of maturity. What he's talking about is a spiritual maturity. And you have to know that when he says the word spiritual here, it's not quite the definition that we have of spiritual. When Paul says, you are a spiritual person, or I'm speaking of spiritual maturity, or I came speaking spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, the idea of someone being spiritual is this. You have the Holy Spirit within you. So if you were to come up to an unbeliever, if we use Paul's terms and Paul's definitions, what we would say is that person who is not a believer in Christ, who has not been converted, that person is not a spiritual person because the Holy Spirit of God does not dwell in that person. But if you are a person who has been saved, who has been chosen, who has been redeemed, who has placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and in that moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit of the living God has come and dwelled within you, then you are a spiritual person, according to Paul. So Paul comes and says, yet among the mature, among those who are spiritually mature, among those who have received the Spirit, we do impart wisdom. Those people who are spiritually mature, those who are saved and have received the Holy Spirit, in contrast to those who are unsaved and have not. These recipients of the Holy Spirit see the gospel of the cross for what it is. It is the good and right wisdom of God. And with this introductory thought, in a very simple manner, Paul clearly divides the idea of wisdom into two categories. The wisdom of God and the wisdom of this age. Paul says, yet among the mature, we do impart a wisdom, a wisdom of God, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So verse six gives us these two ideas. And if you remember the Plinko illustration, as you work through six through 16, what he's going to do is bounce back and forth. God's wisdom, wisdom of the age, God's wisdom, wisdom of the age. And it's going to be all the way, all the way down to verse 16. But what we're going to do is try to categorize this, step back and go, okay, there's two categories here. We see Paul working in wisdom of God, wisdom of the age. And Paul flushes out these two categories of wisdom by telling us what wisdom is and what wisdom is not. So what we're going to do is step back and go, okay, Paul, according to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 6 through 16, what is wisdom? And this is what wisdom is first. The wisdom of salvation through a crucified Messiah is rooted in God himself. That's verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. We impart a wisdom of God. So first, what is wisdom? Wisdom is rooted in God himself. And we caught a glimpse of this wisdom back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 23, 24, and verse 30. Because up to this time, just about everywhere that you've seen the word wisdom, Paul has in mind human wisdom. But he gives us a little foretaste before we actually come to this point here in verses 6 through 16 on what this other wisdom, this godly wisdom looks like. And that's verse 23, 24, and 30 of chapter 1. Because Paul says these things. We preach Christ crucified. To those who are called Christ, the power and wisdom of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. This is what true wisdom looks like. He gives us a little foretaste of what true godly wisdom is. Then he waits till 2, 6 through 16 and then goes, now this is what it looks like. And unpacks it, opens that present for us. 
This is what true wisdom is. The fount of wisdom, first of all, finds its source in God. That is what wisdom is. Second, the wisdom of salvation through a crucified Messiah is secret and hidden. You see that phrase there in verse 7 as well. Not only do we impart a wisdom of God, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Paul notes that God's wisdom of a crucified Messiah was something formerly hidden in God from all human eyes, but now has been revealed in history through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The wisdom of the cross had been hidden in God from eternity until the fullness of time had come. And at the appropriate time in history, according to plan, Jesus Christ stepped on the scene, ushered in the age of salvation with his death and resurrection. And this plan that God had from before eternity began, that's Ephesians 1 language. This was plan A for God. You got a little taste of it in the Old Testament, but you don't get to see the full-blown mystery that people can have a relationship with God once and for all through the sacrifice of the Son of God until Jesus stepped on the scene, lived his life perfectly, died, was buried, resurrected, defeating Satan, sin, and death. Third, what else is wisdom? Wisdom is this. The wisdom of salvation through a crucified Messiah was decreed before the ages for our glory. God determined before the ages began that plan A of salvation would be through the person and work of Jesus Christ, as we just said. Just as God chose the foolish and weak for salvation and thereby shamed the wise and powerful, so now Paul repeats that God decreed his people for glory and not for shame. There's been a reversal. Things have been dumped on their head. And this all-wise plan originated in God's mind. And though outlined in the Old Testament was not fully explained, we catch glimpses of this through the Passover event, through Abraham taking Isaac up onto the mount, through the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. You get these little glimpses like, okay, I'm seeing these pictures of things dying, blood being shed, covering our sin. But as the writer of the Hebrews said, The shedding of blood, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away forever, once and for all, our sin that we've committed against God. We need a once and for all, eternally worthy sacrifice, and that is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, it took the revealing of the Spirit to those who love God that the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus was the full display of God's wisdom. This is what wisdom is. That gets us 6 through 10. There's a string through 6 through 10 that shows us what wisdom is. Now, if you go back up to verse 6, and we'll work our way down verse 10, we'll see what wisdom is not. So, in contrast to what wisdom is, Paul took the, the time to explain to them what wisdom is not. So, this is Paul being very pastoral, very loving. So, what he did not do is step up to the plate and go, okay, you guys are a bunch of buffoons because you're trusting in human wisdom. This is what wisdom really looks like. I sure hope you figure out what wisdom does not look like. He doesn't leave it up to their own devices to fill in the blanks, to fill in the category, to define what wisdom ought not to be. In a very loving way, he holds up two things and goes, Godly wisdom is this. This is what you should be about. Human wisdom is this. You should not be about this. And that's what he does in verses 6 through 10. He he weaves a thread right through there. 
Paul took the time to explain to the Corinthians what wisdom is not. God's wisdom is the gospel, while the so-called wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, consists of the worldviews, the philosophies, and the belief systems which fail to recognize the gospel. This age and its way of thinking is doomed to pass away, yet none of the rulers of this age saw this. You see this in the second half of verse 6. Paul says, this is what it is. We, we come to the spiritually mature, those who have received the Spirit, and we do impart wisdom, although, and this is what wisdom is not, it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. These rulers saw themselves as wise in the wisdom of a crucified Messiah, they saw this as folly. Yet in their folly, what they did not understand was the nature of true wisdom, which stands in contradiction to human wisdom. And because they did not understand, they did what human wisdom demanded. They crucified the Lord of glory. So when you go back and you read the Gospels and you're looking at the passion accounts in the Gospels, it's underlying the surface. No one steps up on the scene and goes, this is extreme wisdom of us doing this. But what is Pilate's way of thinking? And what are the Jewish rulers' way of thinking? It's this guy's a nuisance. Jesus, we don't want around. So what's the most wise thing for us to do? The most wise thing for us to do is to get rid of Jesus. But what they did not know and did not understand, they were crucifying the Lord of glory himself. So Paul then turns his attention to a loose collection of Old Testament truths to support what he just said. And that's verse 9. He says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. Those who are not in Christ and have not received the Spirit and His revelation are spiritually blind, is what Paul is saying. They're spiritually deaf. They're incapacitated in their ability to imagine a crucified Messiah as wisdom. They are dumbfounded by the fact that the Christians, Paul would come, and these unbelievers here, your God took on flesh, your God was crucified, a God who would take on flesh, come to earth, die a criminal's death on a cross, taking upon himself a divine wrath that he did not deserve is literally mind-blowing to those of the age. They look at that, and because they're spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, spiritually incapacitated to be able to look at that and go, that is wisdom. They look at that and go, man, that is just folly. That is ridiculous. And all of these things lead Paul up to this crucial point. It leads him up to that last part of verse 9 and that first part of verse 10, where he says, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. God's wisdom can be known only by God's people because they alone have the Spirit. This is the turning point, and this is the hope. Remember, the Corinthians didn't out-wisdom others. They didn't outpower others. They didn't somehow outstrive others, arriving at this enlightened place because they were so awesome. The fact that they actually saw God's wisdom of a crucified Messiah as true wisdom was owed entirely to God who revealed them to them these things through the Spirit. 
And Paul wants them to see this is part of a hinge verse here for Paul in this argument of verse 6 through 16. So when he leaps out of verse 5, he says, hey, I didn't come preaching to you so that your faith would rest in human wisdom. Oh, by the way, there is such a thing as godly wisdom. So he turns his attention in verses 6 through 10 and focuses on what is godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is your only hope of salvation. And the way you distinguish are able to understand the way that you are able to look at a crucified Messiah and go, that is the power of salvation is when the Holy Spirit of God comes opens your eyes, removes the scales, and you see it for what it is, salvation found in the Son of God crucified for sinful man. And then what he does is he swings and he hinges on that because he says, you don't, you are able to distinguish between human wisdom as a means of salvation and God's wisdom of a crucified Messiah as salvation unless the Spirit comes and shows you, oh, you want to know something about the Spirit? And then he goes, and he swings. And he looks at verses 10 through 16 and goes, now let me tell you a little something about the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to show us what the Holy Spirit is about, the the, the role, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the hope that the Holy Spirit brings us in being able to take the gospel to people, to a city, to a state, to a nation, to the world. And he comes and he just shows them and he works through 10 through 16, pointing out the beauty and the goodness of the Holy Spirit. So in these first verses, 6 through 10, we see that God's wisdom is good. And then as we look at that second verse there, that second sentence in verse 10, and look through the end of 16, we're going to see this. The Spirit alone knows the mind of God and reveals God's wisdom to us. The Spirit alone knows the mind of God and reveals God's wisdom to us. What you're going to see here is a lot of Holy Spirit language. And you're going to see and draw a very obvious conclusion that for Paul, the Spirit is the key to everything that he was talking about. What is their hope in them becoming and having a gospel identity? Verses 1 through 9 of chapter 1, the Holy Spirit. What is their hope of being able to rightly live out their mission rooted in their identity? The Holy Spirit. What's their hope of not being marked by divisions and quarreling? The Holy Spirit. What is their hope of striving until the day they die or until the day that Jesus Christ comes back, holding at the center the gospel of a crucified Messiah? The Holy Spirit. What is their hope in banking their life on that foundation that God chose me and God called me not because I was so awesome, but because I was so awful, the Holy Spirit? What's the power behind preaching so that stony, sinful hearts hear the words of a preacher and something goes from here to here and something happens within the heart to where five minutes ago you would rather have spit in Jesus' face, the Holy Spirit comes and changes your heart, then a second later you're going, I now want to give my life and devote everything that I have to Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. For Paul, this is crucial for the Corinthians. I mean, just go read the rest of 1 Corinthians. They are in a pretty abysmal place. And what is their hope? Paul is holding out to them. Brothers, what is key here is the Holy Spirit. So all that we've been talking about over the past couple weeks comes to rest on the revealing work of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul has just talked about the difference between God's wisdom and human wisdom. And he wraps up this section of thought by noting that we are able to discern the difference between the two only by a revelation of the Spirit. And then like a hinge, as we said, he turns his thoughts towards the various ministries of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the agent of revelation that removes the scales from our eyes. You see this in the first part of verse 10. These things, everything that he said before, 6 through 10, 2, 1 through 5, chapter 1, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit is the agent of revelation. He's the one that reveals. He's the one that removes the scales from our eyes and enables us to see Jesus Christ as our only hope of salvation and seeing this as a gloriously good thing. Yet Paul doesn't leave it there. He shows the Corinthians four more ministries of the Holy Spirit with the purpose of authenticating the kind of wisdom he has been talking about all this time. So what he's not doing is goes, okay, man, the Holy Spirit's really awesome. Awesome. Goes to his bookshelf and pulls out his systematic theology and goes, now let's have a systematic theology lecture about the Holy Spirit. He He doesn't do that. But in the way, he is teaching us about the Holy Spirit as he's going to work through these verses, showing them this is the beauty, this is the glory of the Holy Spirit. He's going to show them four different ways that the Holy Spirit worked in their lives, is working in his life, and what is good and right about the Spirit and his revealing work, magnifying and glorifying Christ. So first, the Holy Spirit searches. The Holy Spirit not only reveals, but the Holy Spirit searches. Look at the latter part of verse 10 and 11. So we've seen that God has revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. He reveals But the Spirit searches everything, searches even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The key to understanding God's wisdom lies with the Spirit. We don't naturally, you don't naturally have within us what it takes to be able to know God or to discern his thoughts. Only God can fully know God. Paul seeks to prove his point with an analogy. So he says, okay, at the human level, I alone know what I'm thinking. I know the thoughts of my head. And the only way that you know the thoughts that I'm thinking in my head is if I reveal them by speaking to you. So also, only God knows what God is about. And it is God's Spirit who, as God, knows the mind of God. And this becomes the all-important link to our knowing Him. Because the second thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit indwells us. And that's verse 12. So he comes right off this argument and says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And oh, by the way, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we might understand the things freely given to us. The spirit of God is the link between God and humanity. Paul is presenting the Spirit as the key to the proper understanding of the gospel itself. On the human side of things, we need help. We need a supernatural link that comes from outside of us, that knows God fully and reveals God entirely. 
And this link is the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, we have received the Spirit who is from God. And because this is true, we are now able to understand the things freely given us by God. We once were in darkness, and now we are in light. How is this so? I mean, I mean, just remember your conversion, whether it was one of those instantaneous things or over a period of time, somewhere along the trajectory of your Christian life, you can look back and go, man, I can clearly remember there was a time in my life I didn't give two rips about Christ. And now look at me. I'm sitting in a Baptist church listening to some guy preach and singing songs about Jesus. How did I go from there to here? And Paul answers that. We've received the Spirit. You have received the Spirit. A gift from God who knows the depths of God and has revealed to us the wisdom of God. The reason why you're here and you adore Jesus Christ is because the Spirit of God who knows God intimately, knows everything about Him, knows the hidden wisdom of God from before the ages began because the Holy Spirit is fully God, is the gift that's been given to us. And as He came, as our conversion happened, the Spirit comes in our eyes man yes christ is beautiful christ is good third the holy spirit teaches so not only does the holy spirit reveal the holy spirit searches the holy spirit indwells but the holy spirit also teaches look at verse 13 and we impart this idea, this truth, this wisdom, that salvation is rooted in Jesus Christ alone, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So really, this is sort of a a rehashing of what he said earlier. If you can couch in your mind's eye what he said in 2, 1 through 5, now he's repeating himself, but running it through this grid of the Holy Spirit. So after showing the Corinthians that they are able to understand the wisdom of God because the Spirit has enabled them to understand, Paul turns his attention to his preaching of this wisdom. This verse supports chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, listen, brothers, I I came preaching wisdom, all right. You guys think I was not preaching to you in wisdom because I didn't have lofty words, eloquent speech, and powerful actions. But you're drawing the wrong conclusions because you are making those assumptions and drawing those conclusions based upon human wisdom. But you should have looked at my preaching and the power and the weakness of the message and the simplicity of the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. You should have been seeing that truly as God's wisdom, because I came to you preaching wisdom and I imparted this teaching explaining the things of the spirit by means of words taught by the Spirit. So in the opening of my mouth, I was fully resting on the Spirit's power alone. And that's what he says back in verses 4 and verses 5. When I showed up, brothers, I didn't try to outwit you. I didn't try to win you over with some sort form of persuasive wisdom. It's almost like the old Nest Tea commercial. The guy on the pool just sort of falls back and splashes in the pool. It's that idea of like him just resting. Man, I was just fell back. I was resting. I mean, Paul shows up in Corinth. Corinth! No gospel presence there whatsoever. God calls them, plant a church in Corinth. There are many people in this city who are mine. So what is Paul's hope of stepping into the city and going, I am going to preach the gospel of a crucified Messiah and see people who don't give two rips about Jesus come to salvation. And he says this here, Holy Spirit, that's how it's going to happen. I fell back resting completely on the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Fourth, the Holy Spirit equips for discernment. And this wraps out our section, verses 14, 15, and 16. So Paul's going to come and reconnect some thoughts that he started back in verse 18 of chapter 1. And that's how this sort of plays out like a big bookend. 118 and 216 are two end thoughts, one on the beginning and one at the end of his argument. Because Paul says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This sounds very familiar, like 118, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. So Paul repeats that sentiment by saying the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to the natural person. The natural person is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The Spirit's role in bringing the message of the gospel raised an important issue for Paul. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Only those who are under the influence of the Holy Spirit can receive Christian instruction with open hearts. The Christian message appears to be foolishness to people without the Spirit. They simply cannot understand the teachings of the Holy Spirit as they are delivered by Paul, the apostles, preachers, other believers. So on one hand, the person who has received the Spirit of God can discern the things of God that pertain to the work of salvation. That's what he says. The spiritual person judges all things. He, he can perceive and understand and to discern and to examine these things that relate to salvation. But on the other hand, the person lacking the Spirit cannot discern what God is doing. Therefore, the one without the Spirit cannot examine or pass judgment on the person with the Spirit. That's that last part of verse 15. But is himself to be judged by no one. This simply means that the person who belongs to this age, who is an adherent to the wisdom of this age, who has not received the Holy Spirit, who has not been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, this person who belongs to this age is not in a position to judge as foolish the person who belongs to the age to come. And Paul supports this thought by once again dipping back into the Old Testament, asking this question from Isaiah, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And the implied answer is like, good grief, nobody. Like nobody ever, eternally past, eternally future, nobody ever has been able to go, you know what? Uh, I think I've got God, I'm, I'm sort of one up on God in this one. Looking down on God going, let me, let me tell you something. Isaiah got it, Paul picked it up and goes, no one ever has been in that position. Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The implied answer is nobody. This question aimed at the natural person then asks how they can expect to know true wisdom and thereby pass judgment on the one who has the spirit when they do not have the mind of the Lord. But for the spiritual person, the one who truly has received the spirit of God, he has the very mind of Christ. 
And so that wraps up Paul's argument. Because so then what you're going to see is if you were just to continue reading in your quiet time, for him it's like, case closed. Like, you know, argument over. I've said what I need to be said. So where was I? Oh, yes. Dips back sort of verses 1, chapter 1, verses 9, 10 through 16, and picks up this idea of division and continues on. So how do we respond to this? I mean, like, so what is Paul wanting us to take away? What was he wanting the Corinthians to understand in regard to this idea of the Holy Spirit being the foundation, being the one who reveals, being the one who, re- who searches, being the one who indwells us, being the one who teaches, being the one who equips us to be able to discern what is, what is the takeaway from here? I think it revolves around the main idea here. So the main idea was God's wisdom is good and is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is wrapping up a huge argument. He has a desire for the Corinthians to draw a conclusion. He wants them to see that they have a hope. There is a sure and steadfast hope. The wisdom of God is this, salvation through a crucified Messiah. And the beauty of it all is that we don't have to rest on our own power when it comes to everything he said. So maybe you have an, you, you can identify in your life, yes, I have, I have an identity issue. I'm constantly placing things that are not Christ on the throne of my heart. And these things are identifying me. What's your hope in anchoring Christ as the center of your identity? The Holy Spirit. Maybe you're marked by division and quarreling, and that's just the thing that you are about. Yes, you are a believer, like the Christian, like the Corinthians. Yes, you have a vertical relationship with Jesus, but when it comes to the horizontal, you are marked by division and quarreling. What is the hope of your life being aligned and rightly displaying horizontally what is true of you vertically? The Holy Spirit. What is your hope of living from now until the day you die or Christ comes back? With gospel at the center, the Holy Spirit. What is your hope of being anchored in your calling, the Holy Spirit? What is your hope of being able to open your mouth when you're at work tomorrow and you see a prime opportunity to be able to share the gospel with somebody in a very simple, very easy manner? What is your hope of being able to open your mouth and speak to them, the Holy Spirit? What is the hope of somehow your voice box forming words with your mouth and tongue and your mouth opening and just words coming and hitting their ears and moving down to their heart, transforming their heart from a stony heart to a heart of flesh that desires Jesus? What is the hope in just words going through the air and hearing hitting eardrums and moving into the heart? It's the Holy Spirit. This is our hope. I mean, when we move to Jonah here in a couple weeks, what we're going to do is say, we're going to hold up 1 Corinthians 1 through 2 and go, this is foundational. Like, this is huge. Just as you go and you look at your house, you look at your house on the outside and go, man, that thing is beautiful. 
But the house doesn't support itself. Buried deep within the earth, there is a foundation that that beauty rests on. What is the hope of the beauty of the gospel going into our city and seeing gospel healing come to it? It's rooted on the foundation that's buried and anchored deep within our souls. It's this. We are gospel people within a gospel identity, with a gospel mission, with a gospel message that is empowered by the fuel of the living God, the spirit of God himself. So when we turn our attention to Jonah and see what this prophet's call was to a city and see how he stumbled and fell and we turn our eyes and go, man, I see what prophet Jonah was about, but we need somebody better than Jonah. And then prophet Jesus steps on the scene and goes, my desire is for this city. He stands on the edge of Jerusalem, weeping, going, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you like a hen gathers its chicks. We can look to the prophet Jesus and go, that's what we want for Springfield. Like that's their desire. Just like Paul heard that message. I have many in this city who are mine. Go and preach the gospel and trust and rest that the spirit of God will empower the speaking of the gospel so that your neighbor moves from the domain of darkness and is transplanted into the kingdom of the beloved son. That's where we're going. That's why we've been taking five weeks and like nearly saying the same thing over and over for five weeks. Just sort of different. That gospel gem and the different facets. I mean, if you go back and listen to the messages, I mean, good grief, I haven't been cracking anything new on you for the past five weeks. It's just nuanced differently because that's how Paul was nuancing it differently to the Corinthian believers because it was a big deal. Because he wanted them to see that. Because when you look at three for the rest of the book, you see that it's central to him and it's got to be central to us. What's our hope here? Our hope is a crucified Messiah. The wisdom of God is salvation through a crucified Messiah. The beauty of it all is that we don't have to rest in our own power. Before the ages began, God has put the full force of his power behind one avenue of salvation. God was decided on this. Before the ages began, the right avenue that I'm going to put the full force of my Trinitarian power behind is this. God the Son, cloaked in flesh, living a perfect life, dying for you and me, pinned to a cross, body broken, blood pouring out, perfect sacrifice, dead, but coming to life. And in trumping Satan, sin, and death, we have power. Power rooted in God given to us as we speak and go, man, I'm trusting on God to do this work here. Our salvation involves all three persons in the Godhead. You cannot be saved apart from the Father's choosing grace, the Son's loving sacrifice, and the Spirit's ministry of conviction and regeneration. The Spirit reveals, the Spirit searches, the Spirit indwells, the Spirit discerns. And I pray that these truths about the Spirit would become the anchor of your soul, the fuel for your missions. The ground that we stake our lives on and declare from this spot, I will not move. Saying this is the place that I'm, I'm going to die on this hill. Like I'm not giving ground on this issue. This is the Holy Spirit thing. God help us from ever moving from that ground going, God, I've got this. God, I've got this preaching thing. You just let me handle this. God, I've got this 
witnessing thing, evangelism thing at work. I've got this, God. You just sort of linger in the corner until something gets really bad in my life. May we never move there. May we stake ourselves on this ground going, come hell or high water, I am dying on this foundation. Jesus Christ and him crucified. From this spot, I will not move. See, this is a hill worthy of us dying on. The hope we have in seeing the lost come to Christ is found in the Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is the key that unlocks the secret wisdom of God, if it is He that removes the scales, do our lives reflect this truth? Do our thoughts reflect this truth? Are our relationships reflecting this truth that the Holy Spirit is key? Does our evangelism, does our work do our community groups, do our prayers. What I want to do is closing us out is this. We're done with this series. This is it. We're, we're, we're closing the book on 1 Corinthians and in two weeks we're going to start up the book of Jonah. And as you just heard me say, this is pretty foundational for us. And so what I'm going to do is just close us out with a bit of a pastoral prayer. But my desire for you in this pastoral prayer is not to be passive prayers. Like, I'm about ready to lead us. So what I'm not expecting is everyone to be talking out loud. But what I am expecting is that in your seats, your hearts are bending before the throne room of God. So as I am about to lead us through a three-part prayer, I'm going to pray the ministries of the Holy Spirit that we were just talking about. So we're talking about this idea of the Holy Spirit reveals and searches. So we're going to pray, God, reveal these truths to our neighbors. God, the one that searches the depths of God, may this be the God that equips us. May this be the Holy Spirit that equips us and enables us to help in some way, shape, or form. Use us to help reveal this truth to our neighbors. The Spirit, you're the one who empowers. You're the one who imparts the words of the gospel through through teaching. Empower my words so that as I speak, and most times I'll sound like a fool, I'll bumble on my words and I'll stumble on my words, but that is where the very grounds of the gospel shines. God help us. My goal, my prayer for you now in this time as we pray, and when we get done praying, Tom will come and lead us in communion, that this would be a place where you guys are actively praying with me. If it's bending your knees in front of your seat, bend your knees in front of your seat. If it's just sitting in your seat with your hearts bent in a posture of prayer before the living God, please do that. If you need to stand and outstretch your arms, pray. I mean, do that. Get to the place where you can go, God, this is my, like, this is me just going, I don't got it. You've got it. Like, this, this is our hope. This is our desire. So I'm going to pray. And then I close this out. Brother Tom will come up. Our brothers and sisters in the band will come up and we'll turn our attention to responding a second way through communion and then we'll close out in worship. Let's pray. God, my desire is that we as a a body would come and avail ourselves of the one thing that has power to convert the stony heart and that is the Spirit the Holy Spirit. God, the Spirit reveals Jesus Christ and Him crucified as true wisdom for salvation. So God, I pray for our city. I pray for our neighbors. 
pray for my brother, my sister, and my dad. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in Christ here in front of me. That as they go about their days, that they would rest upon the revealing ministry of the Spirit. That when they see opportunities to make much of Jesus, talking about Him, His person and His work, that they would just speak trusting and resting that this now looks like an opportunity to demonstrate the Spirit and His power. I'm going to say something about Jesus. God, help us as mommies and daddies to to press into the ministry work of the Spirit that searches the depths of God. If this is the key, the Spirit that searches the depths of God, and this is the Spirit that has been given to us and indwells us, God, we want this to be true of those who don't know Jesus. God, help us as mommies and daddies to trust on the indwelling work of the Spirit to come, to convert, to indwell, to reveal, to search even our children. God, empower our words. The Spirit empowers us to teach, imparting the words of the gospel in such a way that demonstrates the Spirit's power. God, enable our words, as simple as they may be. God, just help us to boldly proclaim as an ambassador, speaking as we ought, the simple truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God, I know it is hard. But that is why we don't have to not do it because it's not upon us. All we need to do is be faithful witnesses. God, help us do that. God, I pray that you would come and your revealing work would start working in our state capital, in our neighbors, in this city. Just as the New Testament world was dumped on its head because there are witnesses for Jesus, talking about Jesus, resting on the power of the Holy Spirit, that that would be true of Springfield, Champaign, Bloomington, Peoria, Carbondale, Metro East, Chicago, Chicagoland area, that you would dump this state upside down because people are coming and seeking, resting, trusting and the power of the Spirit. God, do this in our lives. Do this for your name's sake. And do this for your glory.